Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Baseball fans, BetMGM is giving you the chance to win a prize every day during the baseball season. Step into the batter's box for BetMGM Swing for the Fences free-to-play game. Pick any area of the strike zone and take your best swing. If you get a single, double, triple, or home run, you'll receive a prize. Smash a home run to collect a bonus bet on us. Just log into your BetMGM Sports account to get started. Then visit your promotion section to access the Swing for the Fences free-to-play game. You'll score a prize if you hit a single, double, triple, or home run. There's nothing more exciting than going yard. So swing for the fences with the king of sportsbooks. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. Must be 21 plus and present in Ohio. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards vary depending on the market and expire 24 hours from issuance. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Home Daily for Wednesday, August 11th, 2021. On today's episode, we're going to have a spoiler-filled discussion about Marvel's What If Season 1, Episode 1, Captain Carter. This is Slash Home Editorial Director Peter Serretta, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Home Senior Writer and Weekend Editor, Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. Before we get into this, Brad, I, I need to ask you a very important question. Have you tried... The new Coca-Cola Zero Sugar. The the new Coca-Cola Zero yeah, Sugar? They they just uh this past month they have reformulated Coke Zero. Oh yeah, I don't really pay attention to like Coke oh, Zero yeah. or diet uh products because they usually taste like trash, but since it's a new formula, <laughs> maybe I'll have to see if it's actually good. Yeah. It, it's funny, like you know how usually they come out with a new formula and it's like the new Coke and then it goes horribly wrong. This time, it's the same Coca-Cola Zero Sugar logo, but they've changed the can red. And then there's a small white dot on it that says, now more delicious. Like, almost like like hoping that you don't see that. Hmm. Like, I don't know. Uh, I'm curious to hear your thoughts. It sounds, it, it, it tastes to me, just to tell you, it, it tastes to me more like a watered-down Coca-Cola. Okay. But, I'll, have yeah, to see, I mean, I'll have to see what, uh, what it's like. Okay, now I'm sure people 
Uh, love that uh, opening banter bit, but let's get let's get into the spoiler discussion of Marvel's What If season one, episode one, Captain Carter. So if you haven't seen this episode, you know, tune out now. Go watch it. It's on Disney Plus. It's what is it like thirty minutes? Yeah, it's pretty short. Yeah, so yeah, you have the time for it. You can fit it in. Um, you know, we we've already given our brief reactions of what we thought of What If. We have seen the first three episodes in this podcast. Uh, maybe until the speculation section, we're, we're not going to mention any of our feelings of the other episodes just to, uh, you know, to keep things on an even keel. Uh, but Brad, what are your brief thoughts about the first episode? Um, it's fine. Uh, you know, it's um, a, a decent remix of Captain America, the first Avenger. Uh, it's very cool to see Peggy Carter, in this role uh, as Captain Carter, which is, you know, essentially a version of Captain Britain uh, in a way. And there's some solid action beats. Um, I, I appreciate how it mixes up like the, the origin story by giving Peggy Carter some hurdles as a woman being turned into a super soldier, where despite, you know, being just as strong and skilled um, and, gifted as steve rogers she's disregarded by her male superiors i I like that that angle uh gives it a a refreshing take but uh my problem with this episode and kind of the series at large is just because these are only 30 minutes episode everything feels kind of rushed and you don't get too much time to like really engage with the characters in the same way you do in the marvel movies and it uh it kind of takes away from the heart and like what makes the Marvel movies tick so well. Um, and it seems like the writing isn't quite as sharp, you know, the, the humor isn't as uh, enjoyable and clever. And uh, I feel like the emotional beats are under scored by animation. That's a bit clunky. Um, the action, the action animation looks stellar and there are some incredible sequences where the animation is so crisp and clean. Uh, but the, the stuff when we're, focused on the characters and, you know, getting close-ups on their faces, like, sometimes the voices don't match up, and the voice acting isn't great on top of that, um, and it just feels kind of weird sometimes. Um, so, yeah, I I like the premise of the series overall. I appreciate, you know, some of the, um, the decisions that they made and how they, you know, mixed up the first Avenger, but... I'm I'm hoping that the series becomes more as it goes along after this first episode. Yeah. Uh, as you know, I'm a big fan of the Marvel's What If comic book series as a kid. I used to collect all of those and read them. I, I love that whole concept. So I was really looking forward to the show. In this first episode, I, I will say it, it, it is a little disappointing for many of the reasons you mentioned. The The voice acting is kind of all over the map. It seems like <laughs> the the actors didn't have the same direction of how cartoony to make i don't know it, it, it varies from like actor to actor and maybe it's that the fact that these are like live action actors who probably have never done animated stuff but it seems very inconsistent i think is the word for me and um but for for this episode in particular, I, I yeah, I, I feel like it feels rushed. It feels like you're trying to do the first Avenger in a 30-minute time slot. You're going through the best of moments, and it it never feels like you get a breath to, to kind of enjoy it. And 
Yeah. And also as much as I like the store, I love Peggy Carter. I liked Agent, uh, the TV show, which is the TV show canon, Brad? Do we know? Is, I mean, the, is what if canon? No, I mean uh, Agent Carter. Oh, well, that, so if we're going by what Marvel did for their Marvel Legends episode that came before What If started, um, they didn't include anything from Agent Carter in that recap of mm. Peggy Carter's place in the MCU. So I would lean more towards no, but it could just be something where they didn't have time to like address the stuff that happens in Agent Carter to, yeah. to fit it in or just wasn't important to mention for her for the story that they were telling with What If. Yeah, usually you would discount almost all Marvel TV before, you know, Disney Plus, but Kevin Feige was a producer on that. So some people consider it canon, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, I don't think it's eventful enough to mention in the lead up to this episode because of what happens. But, um, I, I like what they were trying to do with Peggy in this and the sexism, but it felt too on the nose to me in this episode. Um, Maybe it was just like having it all come from who's that actor, Bradley Whitford. Um, it just felt uh, very just. I don't know. Maybe I don't know who to blame for this. I'm not. I'm not trying to blame an actor. Maybe it's just not well written. But, um, but yeah, uh, you know, I, I said I wasn't going to mention the other two episodes that we saw, but I, I will say that I did like those better. It, it got better in time. I'm. I'm kind of disappointed that they had to lead with this episode and we can talk about why they probably chose to have this episode first later on. But, um, but yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. Okay. So we're not going to do a beat by beat breakdown of the show because I don't think it needs it. It doesn't need that kind of dissection. I think it is what it is. Um, but I, I, let's talk about it. Let's go deeper into it. Um, so the show does, imagine what a different scenario if if events had happened differently what would have happened uh my question to you brad is is this show just a fun anthology series like the comic book series or you know coming off of loki season one many people could read into it that we were actually exploring the multiverse possibility that were created by the events of that season I asked uh, executive producer Brad Winderbaum about this, if this was something that was, you know, meant to be like a guide as to like what's possible in the uh, the MCU or if it's something that like elements of this could cross over into uh, live action MCU. And he said a little bit of both. So I think that it's possible that this is meant to be something that imagines what things are like in the rest of the multiverse in the various branches, because he also said that each episode is considered to be a different universe um, in the multiverse. And, but there is some, there, there's still crossover possibility uh, between them. Hmm. Okay. We'll get to that later. So the watchers, uh, the episode is introduced by the watcher voiced by, do you have the actor's name in front of you? I don't have it. Jeffrey Wright. Jeffrey Wright. Uh, we've seen the Watchers before in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. We saw Stan Lee as one of the Watchers bragging about all his cameos across the Marvel Cinematic Universe movies. Uh, so, so are we to assume that this is one of the Watchers we saw in that in that, in that that movie? Uh, I would say that it's certainly possible that that's the case. You know, there's no 
indication that it's um, for sure one of the ones that we've seen in that in that credit scene. But they're they're the same kind of character, and yeah, that's it would make sense. What, what did you think of the the opening of like the the bookends by the Watcher? So far, they don't seem like anything more than a convenient narrator for the series. Um, yeah. I When I interviewed uh, AC Bradley, the head writer and director Brian Andrews, it sounded like that that's something that might gradually change as the series goes on. Um, that even though the Watcher says that he, he can't and won't interfere, that he's merely observing, that there might be some way that he starts to become involved in the multiverse in some capacity. Um, but they kept their cards pretty close to the vest when it came to actually, you know, saying anything about that. It was more of a, a, a we'll see kind of scenario. But like right now, he's pretty detached um, and kind of just provides, you know, uh, an, an almost, you know, omnipotent kind of view as far as these stories uh, are unfolding. So I'm I'm curious to see if um, how that changes as the series goes on, because so far he's not offering much except just slight guidance. <laughs> Yeah, it's almost like Rod Serling in the Twilight Zone episodes. It feels kind of like that. Um, yeah, I'm wondering if he's going to get involved, how he'll get involved, but we could we could talk about that a little bit later. Um, let's talk about the moment when the branch, if you want to use the terminology from Loki, the, the moment the branch is created, and I think that's the moment where Peggy decides to stay in the room. Yes. And it, it, it's funny how this one little decision can have such a butterfly effect to completely change the whole Marvel Cinematic Universe. What, yeah. what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's just, I mean, you know, it could be a little thing. It can be a big thing. And in this case, it's just a very small decision that changes the uh, entire course of a, of a universe in this case. Um, and, you know, that that I'm sure that changes episode to episode, especially as we see in episode two and three, which was provided, you know, to us in advance. Um, we won't talk about those until they premiere obviously, but, um, but yeah, in this case, it's just a little slight change in events that, you know, sets off this new course. Yeah. I I think one of my criticisms of this episode is at first it was kind of like it that we were just seeing Captain America, the first Avenger, but, but instead, Peggy got to become Captain uh, Carter. Like, it, it seemed like to, it was going along the same line of events. And then I think when it got interesting is when the events of the world in that movie started, like, that butterfly effect kept on causing more butterfly effects of other things not happening. Yeah. Yeah. Um, did... uh. The uh, you know, I actually wanted to mention that in the trailer for this, they show this moment where Captain Carter comes out of the Super Soldier Pod, and there's no flames in the background. Like in in the show, like you know that whole there's been a fire, there's been an explosion, it's like chaos. But in the trailer, in the marketing, it actually just shows her like coming out of the pod, and it's like a normal room. And we see the the shot of uh, Howard Stark looking at her. Do you think that there's going to be other moments in the marketing to to? Why do you think they hid that? By the way, because I don't know. Um, maybe maybe it was a change that was that was made, you know. But they still mm-hmm. use some of that stuff for the marketing. Um, I've been wondering that about certain things because there have been shots in the uh, in TV spots and marketing 
that have used animated versions of uh, shots of the Avengers. Um, like the there's one that they used that, that they juxtaposed with that shot of what appears to be you know entirely different lineup of Avengers. But then there was another one that ha- showed all of the characters uh, you know as we know them in a like a cliche slow motion superhero you know walk up kind of shot too. So. I'm wondering uh, exactly if that is going to be used or if it's just a way to like create a link between what if and the MCU. Yeah. Um, And by the way, so many of the shots in this, this show are like almost completely framed in the same way that they were in the movie, like entire recreations, which I'm sure there's YouTube videos that you can seek out and actually see the the side-by-side comparisons. But um, I thought that was kind of brilliant in how they are able to do that and then subvert them in at times. Um, you know, the big change here, I think, comes when Captain Carter gets um, the Tesseract because now Zola can't well, – she also captured Zola, right? So uh, he, he can't experiment on Bucky or create weapons with the power of the Tesseract. So that completely changes the line of events then. Um, and I, I okay, you know, let's let's talk about let's talk about our favorite moments of of this show. I, I think my favorite moment is obviously Steve becomes uh, kind of like the Iron Mark One Iron Man. He's like the Hydra Stomper, and there's this moment where Captain Carter is going from like plane to plane, just taking you know taking everybody down flying on his back from another to another plane i don't know i just love that whole one shot like i know you were like criticizing the animation but when the animation is doing action it, it is great in this yeah absolutely yeah what what, what are some of your favorite moments of the show this uh, yeah i mean the first full appearance you know of, of captain carter is a great one uh the way she uses the shield and, and leaps around and i i appreciate the balance that they struck between keeping it grounded because it is a recreation of the MCU and it's still supposed to be taking place in our quote unquote real world since it's just an animated version of the MCU, but it gets, it leans a little bit into like doing things that are maybe just slightly more fantastical than what we've seen in the live action movies, as far as the action is concerned. Um, And they give, it gives certain moments like a little more style too. Like we get um, a montage similar to the same one that we get in the first Avenger of, Captain Carter doing all these heroic things, you know, with the the howling commandos and all that stuff. And they have the, like those animated, like bursts of, you know, action, almost like the old school Batman, you know, Biff pow kind of things. Uh, And so they do do some interesting touches uh, with that, but they still keep it mostly, uh, you know, grounded as far as like the action style of the MCU itself. Yeah. Uh, Let's talk about uh, some of our least, what we didn't like of moments in this episode. I'll tell you, you mentioned comedy. And how the comedy is not well written. Uh, I didn't like, uh, you, you know, you almost ripped my arm off. It's yeah, it's very. It's kind of cringy. It is a little cringy. It's a little, it's a little too on the nose. That and that was one of the things that I thought of when I thought about how the humor isn't necessarily uh, as sharp. Yeah. Is there anything else that you, specifically that you could point to that you didn't like in this episode? I feel like I've registered most of my complaints about about the series. Yeah, yeah. Um, my my larger complaint overall is something that we'll talk about kind of as the the series goes on, and that's uh, I feel like they're keeping things a little too 
under wraps when it comes to having this series become a little bit more than an anthology series because it's clear that there's something something bubbling under the surface here especially when it comes to the end of this episode yeah i think people are some people are going to tune out on this i don't think this is going to get the the water cooler discussion that WandaVision or Loki got because I think people are going to be like, oh, it's just an anthology series. And I wish they could have teased more. I mean, we'll talk about the ending of this episode. I don't feel like this the ending of this episode is clear enough to tease that there's more to it. But uh, I think if you're smart and you're a Conoco fan, you probably see that there's something more to it. Um. Uh, okay, so let's talk about the end of this episode. So the end of this episode, uh, Red Skull uses the Tesseract to unleash this giant squid creature, and um, which is kind of funny because isn't the Hydra logo like this like squid kind of creature thing? I think like Hydra is like a – is that from Greek mythology? I think so. Yeah. Well, some, something like that. I, I don't yeah. want to say for sure. But it's well, I think that there's that, but there's also – um, some people have been talking about whether or not the creature that we see in this episode um, is another one that we've seen in Marvel Comics uh, before, because there is a, a creature that has a history with um, Doctor Strange in Marvel Comics named Shumagorath, which is a multiversal, mon- multiversal monster from another mm-hmm. dimension. However, what I can't help but notice is that Shumagorath usually has um, a big eye at the center of its tentacles and this creature just has a big mouth with sharp teeth and so they're both tentacled creatures but they're not exactly the same so it's it's possible but there is that one big difference yeah uh, so the portal explo- explodes right after Steve and Peggy have like that conversation that kind of mirrors the end of uh, the first Avenger which, by the way, we, we should talk about because I feel like a lot of people, I don't know, I, I like that Peggy still fell for Steve, even though he did not become Captain America. Yes. I think that goes to show you her character, and it goes to show you the the, the heart and the love at, at the core of their story. Um, so, I, I don't know, I, I, really, I really appreciate that they, they, they could have went in another direction, do you know what I mean? Like... You know, uh, they could have went in the direction that she didn't give him uh, the time of day because he didn't become Captain America. And I like that they did not go in in that direction. Um, so, okay, so we we cut to Project Pegasus, the research base from the opening of the Avengers. And instead of Loki coming through the portal, Peggy comes through and she's met by Nick Fury and Hawkeye and she's She's told that the war was over, what, like 70 years ago or something like that. Uh, and Peggy realized that she basically gave up everything, you know, a.k.a. Steve, to win this war. Uh, do, do you, where do you think this is going to go, Brad? I think the easy money, and this is something that we've, we've talked about before, um, and I think we, I've men- I mentioned, you know, a couple times, is that there is very likely going to be an alternate assembly of Avengers that will include Captain Carter, Eric Killmonger as Black Panther, T'Challa as Star-Lord, Gamora, and Thor. There's a shot of them in the, tr- the, the full trailer for What If uh, in that same uh, kind of, um, you know, 
circle uh, shot that pans around all of them when they assemble for the first time in the final battle of New York. And that shot is constructed in a similar way around those new characters. And so I think that this is the first indication of like how that will work because you have to bring Captain Carter out of the 40s into present day in order for her to be able to be in the same timeline with younger characters like uh, you know, Black Panther um, and T'Challa, since they're not born until sometime in like the the 80s, I think, as far as the, the timeline is concerned. So um, I think that's our first hint that, that she'll be involved in some other things that will happen uh, later in this series. Yes, but then who becomes the bad guy? Because I'm assuming whoever the villain is has to be a multi-dimensional uh, creature or something because why would these people all come together from different multiverses to to fight so how how do you make that interesting if it's just like some guy in one of the multiverses do you know what i mean yeah well i think that what it is at least my guess because and this is the one character that we've seen in marketing brief very briefly but um haven't really seen in action as far as the trailers and stuff are concerned is this version of Vision where he looks like this uh, Infinity Gauntlet knight mixed with Ultron. He's like wearing this armor. He still has the Mind Stone in his head and he has the rest of the Infinity Stones in uh, a piece of armor that's on his chest. And I would imagine that would make for a pretty formidable uh, opponent. And, (laughs) uh, you know, an interesting what if angle would be what if Vision didn't, you know, help the Avengers but turned against them. And then I guess the question is, how do you combine all these multiverses? How do you have characters from different multiverses to figure? The show is so short as is. Like yeah. we were talking about how, you know, this episode doesn't have a time to, to take a breath. And it's recreating all these moments that we've seen in the movies. And, uh, you know, the upcoming episodes also do the same thing. I will say that. So uh, I'm wondering, like, when do you have time for them to learn that there's other multiverses and they need to all come together to to fight this vision, this infinity gauntlet vision? Or, you know, how do you... How does that work? I think that for the most part, you only have to probably worry about a couple characters and figuring out how to fit them in because, and I think maybe even just only one. And I think that they just solved it with, with Captain Carter, you know, her coming into the, the present from the forties puts her on a path to a different part of the universe where all of those other characters could still exist without really changing um, without requiring a jump to other multiverses in order to have them. You know, she could easily be in a timeline where, uh, you know, Killmonger has become Black Panther because T'Challa was taken away from Wakanda when he was a child and has now become Star-Lord. Uh, and Thor, you know, can easily fit in there. Um, okay, you are getting to the point that I wanted to get to, Brad. What I was wondering is, are we actually really looking at all these different multiverses or are we looking at a diff- one different multiverse? I think it'll be a mixture um, because, like you know, like Brad Winderbaum said, that each of these episodes is its own universe, but there's still crossover potential. So, like, I have a feeling. But, but that's definitely a lie because we know. Well, that's- I don't. I think it. I think it is, and it and it isn't because the the thing that I just thought of too, and this is something that we can talk more about in the third episode. But there is a bit of a challenge as far as keeping 
the version of you know Thor that we know intact in this universe, and might, yeah. he might have to come from another multiverse. And you could say that Captain Carter may have come from a different universe into uh, into another universe when she passed through, uh, you know, the, the portal created by the Tesseract in this episode. So I think that there's a lot of artifacts and things that we know about the MCU that will allow these characters to, to cross over if they actually are in distinct universes. But I wouldn't be surprised if we find out that some of them still exist in universes with, with other ones. Yeah. And I know you wrote this article on slash on my link it in the show notes. Uh, the title is captain Carter is the crux of Marvel's. What if animated series and will return in future seasons. So this is what I was alluding to earlier when I was like, you know, the choice to make this episode one is kind of unfortunate, but it, it also seems like it was necessary because she is a pivotal character. So can you talk a little bit about that? What you learned? Yeah, you know, they didn't really dig into the specifics of it too much, but they used her as this, you know, launching point um, to create a new universe because it's uh, not only is this the first story that we've seen uh, as far as the Marvel Cinematic Universe chronological timeline is concerned. Uh, you know, it's um, obviously we'll we'll learn soon that the Eternals have been around for a lot longer, but Captain America is still the first Avenger. And now Captain Carter is the first Avenger. So there's that. But apparently there will be something that we'll see as time goes on that makes Captain Carter more important to the kind of stories that they're telling in What If? Because not only will she obviously come back in some capacity when you consider the end of this episode and the fact that we've seen her, you know, in uh, a shot with Doctor Strange and uh, that shot with, you know, the uh, presumed new Avengers, but they said that um, she will also be returning in future seasons of Marvel's What If. And they're already working on a second season in the show. So she'll have a story that will continue much in the same way that Captain America's story continued once he was you know, brought back uh, from being frozen for all that time. Hmm. And now uh, we should uh, we should bring up the rumors that she might appear in live action. Have you heard those rumors? I've heard, but I haven't seen anything that feels like it's substantial or like make significant sense the best i can think is that you know it could be one of those things where it's a quick flash into like uh an alternate universe when once we start having the multiverse explained to us a little bit more uh for whether it's for spider-man no way home or dr strange in the multiverse of madness you know i it's i would imagine that that's probably where it's most possible for us to maybe just get a quick glimpse of that in live action form for sure Okay, uh, at the end of this episode, I wanted to run your interview with the writer and director of this series. Can you cue it up for us and tell us what uh, we're about to hear? And also, um, are, are there spoilers for the next two episodes in there? Um, I, Other than what we've already talked about, I don't address anything specific that happens uh, in the second or third episode. Um, so I don't believe so. And they're also pretty vague when they, I answer certain questions where I try to get them to talk about the interconnected uh, nature that can come from this series as it goes on. Uh, so you should be safe. But yeah, it's um, it's with director Brian Andrews and head writer AC Bradley. Uh, I talked to, I asked, you know, um, Brian about some of their choices as far as animation is concerned and whether they got to... Uh, record footage of the marvel actors you know uh, for the show for reference or if they had to use just the marvel movies that they have um to, to go off of for that kind of 
recreating their look essentially since this is one of the rare uh animated shows based on a film franchise where they actually take the likeness of the actors that are in the movies uh for the most part and then uh i you know try to get them to talk about this the new avengers a little bit you know the watchers place and everything um and so they're they're pretty good at tap dancing but uh yeah (laughs) okay we'll run the interview right now uh, so uh, let's just dig right into it. Um, I, it's been said that the the What If team came up with 30 potential ideas for episodes for the show, and there's only 10 episodes in this first season. So I'm sure you're saving some of those ideas for future seasons, but how did you determine which ones you wanted to make up this first season? When it came to creating episodes of What If, the first thing we always looked at was the characters. So we kind of went through each of these iconic heroes. And my favorite thing is trying to find the human behind the hero, the heart underneath the shield and behind the arc reactor and showing them in a new light. So with a character like Nick Fury, who's always this, to be honest, the original uh, BAMF was like, let's show him have a crisis of faith. Let's see him wonder if the Avengers initiative was not going to work. Let's have that episode where he has to look around and be like, am I doing the right thing? And go from there. We kind of did that for all the characters in the MCU. We played with different genres. We played with different storytellings. We're like, what, should we do a heist movie? I think one discarded idea was let's do something in the vein of The Office. Um, And they were presented to Kevin and he was to pick his favorites. And embarrassingly enough, he picked almost 20. We went, okay, we've... Can we get more episodes? You went, no. Can you narrow it down a bit for us? And that's how we got these final 10. Luckily, we are doing a season two. So hopefully some of these episodes that we originally pitched will come back. But thankfully also the MCU, the universe is expanding. We have new movies coming out that we hope to play with more in season two. Mm-hmm. Brian, how did you determine uh, that this style of animation was how you wanted to tell these stories? Uh, well, part of it was just the fact I wanted to see it. You know, I was, I, I'm a, a big fan of J.C. Leindecker's work, American illustrator from like the 20s and 30s, and his work is phenomenal. And, you know, Hollywood has long tried to get it into either into animation or, or whatever with varying degrees of success and or failure. Um, so I thought, wow, it'd be great if we just did this because it can look great. They, the, his, his illustrations, they look like heroes already, you know, totally idealized like men and women. They're so fantastic in, in shape and design and not pushed cartoony, they're pushed in a different way, right? And I felt also that it seemed to bridge the gap between the live action world and something more, instead of going too comic booky or too uh, animation, right? It, it looked it, more illustrative, you know, illustrative, right? Yeah. And as a result, I think that it creates a nice pivot from the live action. And then our, our, our mantra from the studio was, it's like, you know, it's these stories are riffing off the cinematic universe. So I felt like if we did something that was too insanely pushed, it separates you so much from the original material that it's trying to, to be a part of, you know what I mean? So it's, it's, we're, in a way we're kind of getting some realism, but it's still like stylized a bit enough to satisfy some of the artistic um, nerd in me and others. And then Ryan Minerding, the, 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 the god of like Marvel design and, and character and stuff, for all the movies and everything. Um, he, he designed the characters for our show and he always wanted to work in animation. He also loves JC Leindecker and 
he was on board and, you know, in our first pitches with Kevin, we just had JCI Linedecker's work and we're like, we're thinking of pursuing something like this. And Kevin was just like, if it looks like that, I'm in. <laughs> we, we can just end this conversation. I know it's going to be amazing. Let's make it look like this. Okay. I'll see you guys in the later. <laughs> um, so, so, so I, I think we struck a pretty good balance. It's still evolving. We had to make this thing relatively quick, even though it takes forever to do the time you have to develop it is, is almost non-existent. And um, we were making it up at, at, on a, on the fly. So we're still improving and dialing in the style, even episode by episode, just trying to like fine tune always, but yeah, but we're pretty happy with it. Uh, so you talk about kind of working on this series on the fly. And I'm, I'm curious if the, um, the connective tissue that seems to be lingering between these first three episodes is building to something bigger, much in the same way that the original first few movies of the MCU did. There was, there was only some slight connective tissue in those days. And now it's obviously all integrated and the trailer seemed to give some hints as to maybe a a large culmination, culmination of something in this first season. Um, Can can you talk about, uh, I guess, trying to, to find that connective tissue when you're completely remixing the MCU and giving characters all these different, you know, and new connections. Well, okay. So when it came to episodes of What If, the connecting tissue really is the Watcher, voiced by the amazing Jeffrey Wright. We wanted to have the narrator, we want to have this Rod Serling type character that is also in the original What If comics. But the other notion was like, well, what do we say with him? Mm -hmm. How does he talk? What's his point of view? And so we started off originally with this very detached POV. I am notorious for (laughs) comparing the watcher to the pizza rat meme. Also (laughs) Q from Star Trek was another inspiration. Uh, And my Chinese Taoist professor from college (laughs) who was like, you will never understand anything. Like, oh, but do I have to take a test? But you're gonna give me a test on it. He went, yes. and then working with Jeffrey and hearing him talk about his own theories about the character and the way he wants to bring in this like other views of what a God could be like. And then also hearing him talk about watching the Marvel movies with his son, I realized the whole arc of the watcher is him almost becoming not human, but having an understanding of humanity, forming a connection with these characters, learning something from them, realizing that he isn't just this omnipotent watcher watching from afar, he's a viewer, he's invested, he cares. And then how is that gonna affect him as future stories arrive? Mm-hmm. So does that, that sounds like the watcher then maybe becomes a little more invested in what he's watching. Even, and even though he says he doesn't interfere, is that something that is we're, we're coming up on? <laughs> Anything is possible in the MCU. You'll have to keep watching and see what happens. We'll watch like the Watcher. <laughs> yes, that's right. It's correct. It's exactly it. Uh, so this series is is unique in that that it has uh, characters who are designed to resemble their big screen counterparts, and that usually doesn't happen when you have animated shows adapting, you know, the movies. And I was curious, how, um, how do you go about animating characters like that? Are, are you filming the actors while they're recording their lines for reference material? Or is it merely relying on the imagery from the Marvel movies for that? It's mainly relying on the imagery. I would have loved to record them, you know, when we did it. But, you know, we're, we're not like a feature animated like Pixar, where they get to do all that stuff. The animators get to nerd out with it. 
we're going fast and furious and there's a lot of other like legal things to negotiate and all this other stuff that's like probably above my pay grade but um so as a result we didn't get a a chance to do that which is which i always felt was a little bit of a bummer because it would have really helped the animators otherwise it's me and my uh, head of animation um stefan frank to like try to do drawings <laughs> to be like like this or point to the movie like that just, just do that look they're doing it right there just do that so um but we forgot we had some really great vendors and they really did, nailed it on a number of scenes and really did some some subtle stuff and so it's great um so no we didn't have the recordings but we had a wealth of the, their movies um to, to 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 look at which is which was great i mean you just Pop in Thor. Take a look at Chris Hemsworth. Woohoo! You know, so it's like right I there. Always at look the at Chris Hemsworth. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can always look at Chris Hemsworth. I mean, there's just you know, I mean, no one needs an excuse to look at Chris. <laughs> uh, who is, and each of you can answer this. Is your favorite alternate version of an MCU character that you created for the show? Huh. I'll make Brian answer that one first. That's a hard one, man. That is a hard one because they're all they're all fantastic. They're all amazing. You know, I mean, I I, I do love me the the Captain Carter. Just because Haley's great, all that stuff's great, but I also love Starler T'Challa because it's just more T'Challa. Like basically, the, the, even when we were coming up with these stories, immediately that we'd see what like like they were early ones we came up with. Boom, just out of the gate, yes. And then we saw Ryan's illustrations of them, and we're like, oh my god! It's like I cannot wait for the cosplay. I want the cosplay of all of the episodes of all the peeps. I mean, it's rich. <laughs> I, I can't even choose. But those two are super standouts, yeah. How about you, AC? For me, it probably, it's a little cliche, but it's probably Peggy Carter <laughs> because two things I love. I love an underdog and I love a strong woman. And she, the point of that episode, sorry, I need to rephrase that. Going into that episode, we knew we wanted Agent Carter to become the first Avenger. My job was to figure out how do we do this? And while watching the original First Avenger, there is a moment where Dr. Erskine says, would you rather wait in the booth? And she goes, no. And we're, I was like, that's it. That's the moment. She goes, no, I'd rather stay in the room. Because that's such a loaded phrase, even in the 1940s, especially in 2021, is that women belong in the room. We belong in the conversation. Because when a woman is part of it, it changes the world. And I love the idea that Kevin, Victoria, Lou, Brand, they were like, go for it. They let me make her this really strong feminist character and also showing that, hey, just because a woman gets a super soldier serum in 1940 something doesn't mean she gets to become Captain Carter. She still has to fight for it. And damn it, she does. That's very cool. That was a great answer. <laughs> and that does it for today's Slash Film Daily. You can find more of all of our work at SlashFilm.com. You can find this podcast on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at peter.slashfilm.com. And please head on over to Apple Podcasts. Give us a rating. Write us a review. You know, A sentence or two will do. Tell your friends. Spread the word. And we'll see you tomorrow.